our communion Sunday usually takes a different approach than the regular Sundays of which we would uh, be sharing the Word of God at the more at the end of the message, uh, the, the service, at the latter end rather than in the middle. I have been going through since we finished, since we finished um, the Psalms of Ascent, just a few topical messages dealing with topics that we are facing today. We started out with whether we could trust our Bible. Is the Bible a trustworthy book? And this morning we are looking at the question, believe it or not, is a very, very um, up-to-date question. Who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? And for the foundation of our, the message this morning, turn in your Bibles, please, to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I want to read, although this is going to be not the text as such, but the foundation for everything else that is being built from other scriptures. Philippians chapter 2. Would you stand again for the reading of God's word? Beginning to read at verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming to the point of by obedient, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Please be seated. Who is Jesus Christ? The question was asked by those who knew him in the days when he was on earth, and it is being asked today in some circles. I am not sure whether you are familiar with the religion of Scientology. Scientology was founded by a fellow by the name of Ron Hubbard. And if you don't know about Scientology, if you know Tom Cruise, you know that that was his religion. But listen to what Hubbard had to say about Jesus. Hubbard said, Jesus never existed as a person, but rather he is an electronic idea implanted by the true power of the universe into the mind of someone between the incarnations about 600 B.C. The implant 
labeled R6, occurred while this person between incarnations was watching a madman or something, Jesus is nothing more than an electronic mystical. He is nothing more than a biological implant, and the implant, listen to this, the implant is the character of a pedophile. Who is Jesus? It's amazing, isn't it? That Jesus either caused people to say idiotic things or that he's worshipped. But he never leaves people neutral. He never leaves people to the place where they don't have to say something about him as to who he is. I don't know if you are aware that from the, the birth of Christ... Time was cut in two, B.C. and A.D. B.C. was known as before Christ. That has been changed now before the common era. So when you see B.C., you will not see only B.C., you will see B.C.E., because it is now changed. We are constantly, several years ago, one minister was invited to, to speak at the inauguration of one of our presidents, and he was told that he can pray, but don't mention the name of Jesus. And you can see that, that Jesus continues to, to cause people to think things that are Legitimate or illegitimate? And for our time this morning, as we go through these series, by the way, next week my message is going to be on who is the Holy Spirit before we get back to James. When Jesus spoke in his day, people were angry, they were amazed, they would submit themselves or as we said in our Sunday school class this morning, they would try to kill him. But he never left people neutral. Let's begin with his own testimony. Who is Jesus Christ? Let's talk about his pre-existence. In other words, he existed before there was time. It was in the 8th chapter of John that Jesus is being confronted by those who were questioning his existence, his person, his ability. And they're going back and forth. And the Jews made this statement, We have Abraham as our father. And Jesus replied, Before Abraham was, I am. Now, note he didn't say before Abraham was, I was. Because he would be talking of simple time. You came before me or I came before you. But when he used, when he used the, 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 the title, I am, this goes right back into the third chapter of the book of Exodus, where God revealed himself to Moses in preparation to go to Egypt to deliver the people from bondage, and Moses asked, Whom shall I say sent me when they asked what is his name? And he said, I am. 
My name is I am. That is a divine expression, a divine title. And seven times through the, the Gospel of John, Jesus used the term I am, I am, I am. Not I was. No, I am is dealing with the timelessness of something. If Jesus Christ pre-existed, he existed before time was, but he didn't exist as a, as a, what some denominations say, that he was a creature, the first creature that God created in heaven. That is not biblical. That is demonic. Because Jesus is not a created being. If you look in the, in the, in the, in the Gospels, when he speaks... He doesn't speak as though he came after a fashion with God. Hebrews chapter 1 says he is the exact representation of who God is. When he said, I am the disciple, the, the Pharisees decided they were going to stone him because if he, if he was wrong, if he was wrong, then he should be stoned. Because by claiming to be God, he was guilty of blasphemy. But if he's right, as someone asked Billy Graham when he was alive, of course, what if when you die you find out that it wasn't true? Mr. Graham said, then I have nothing to lose. But what if when you die you find out it was true? You have everything to lose. And what Jesus is saying, my friends, to see Jesus as a mere implant, to see Jesus as, as equal to every other creature is not to have a savior. Every religion in the world, every religion apart from Christianity, is always saying to man, this is what you've got to do to get to God. Christianity is the only religion that says, this is what God did to come to you. No other religion can claim that. And what Jesus was saying, not trying to say, when he said, I am, he was saying, I do not have a past. I do not have a future. I have an now. Now. He is the eternal existing one. He does not depend upon anything outside of himself to exist. You and I always have something before. We had a father or a mother. When God called Jesus his son, he's not talking about the creating. He's talking about the divine order. His pre-existence. Jesus lived with a conscious awareness that even though he was in time, he existed before time. He was timeless. Then Jesus also recalled his pre-existence. John 17, 5. Jesus is getting ready to go back to heaven just before his crucifixion. And he's praying. And by the way, John 17 is where the Lord's Prayer is. Matthew chapter 6, where we pray our Father is not the Lord's Prayer. It is the prayer he taught his disciples. John 17 is where Jesus is praying. And he's praying. And he prayed this. And now, Father... Glorify thou me together with thyself with the glory 
which I had with you before the world existed. Glorify me with the glory. You have the word, Jesus is saying, glorify me. But he's saying, when you glorify me through death, I will return to the place with the glory to share in the glory which we had. It is not talking about communication, talking about essence. The glory of God, by the way, you remember when the angels, <coughs> when the angels came to announce the birth of Christ? You remember what it says? The glory of the Lord shone round about them. The glory of Jesus is not something that he gets from someone else. The glory of Jesus is within who Jesus is. And this glory is the, <coughs> excuse me, the glory of Jesus here is the demonstration of who he is displayed for men, women, boys, and girls to see. When he was on earth, they saw something of it. John said, we beheld his glory. But what they were seeing was just the expression, the true essence of the glory of Christ is that which is the essence of the Father, before whom creatures in heaven bow before him and they cry, holy, 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 and glory. Listen, glory is the expression of the excellence of God from eternity into time. So when Jesus spoke, my friends, he was not speaking as any other man. When Jesus spoke, he was speaking as God. Now we look, thank you, we look at his perfection. His perfection. Jesus invited scrutiny by those who knew him. And in John chapter 8, he asked the disciples, he asked his enemies, which of you can convince me or accuse me of sin, a flaw in my character, having missed the mark of who God is? Because this is what sin is. Which of you can, can accuse me of moral imperfection? And there was no answer. Because there was no sin in him. Jesus is the only perfect being that walked this earth. No, no matter who he or she may be, they can never claim for themselves. I, I'm, I, there was a, a lady in Toronto where when I was there, she was a very strange, strange person. She said to me, I want you to know that I have never sinned. And I said to her, I want you to know that you cannot be a Christian because only sinners become Christians. My friends, no one can claim that. Listen, there was not even an ill word in the mouth of Christ. His character was such 
that unless he was a sinless being, he could not do what he was about to do. Because only a sinless person can die for sinners. Only someone whose character is absolutely perfect. In Luke 9, 29 to 32, he's on the Mount of Transfiguration. And we're told that as he was in being transformed, his clothing became white. Not by light from outside, but from light from inside. Jesus was not like the moon that gets its reflection from the sun. He is the sun out of whom comes everything that God is. And when the disciples saw him, they saw his glory. Glory in a being. God is visible to be seen. And he's seen without sin. He's seen as absolutely immortal, invisible, wise, and sinless. That's the kind of Savior we need, friends. We do not need someone that is equal to us. Deepak Koprak said that there are three Jesus. I don't even know how to put that into a good sentence. There's the, the sentence of the Jesus of history, the Jesus that we make him, and the Jesus that he's going to make him. And you should read some of the things. No, don't read it. Uh, he, he talks about. So unlike, unlike anything else, Jesus is unique because of his perfection. He invited scrutiny. Secondly, listen to his, what I call his incomparable speech. The incomparable speech of Jesus. John chapter 7, 46. The Pharisees sent the soldiers out to arrest Jesus because of what he was doing and what he was saying. And they came back without, they came back without Jesus and they asked, where is Jesus? And listen to what they said. John 7, 46. Never a person spoke like this man did speak. Never a person. In other words, they had not heard. This is the religious people. And they have not heard a speech or language as Jesus was speaking. I was thinking of that. You know, the other day, in, in preparation here, there, there, was, there was Aristotle, there was Plato. I mean, there was all the great minds and orators of the past. And yet, they said nobody ever spoke like Jesus. Uh, you know, one of my favorite characters in history, and has nothing to do with my name, is, is Winston Churchill. The man knew 80,000 words, and he used them all in sentences. 80,000 words. Now, I've never checked to know how many words I know. But Churchill was a master, a master at using words. But Churchill never spoke what Jesus spoke, as the way Jesus did. 
And, and we want a leader today, don't we? Someone who can speak with authority, that we can have confidence in what they say. Listen, listen to three areas of the speech of Jesus. Number one, his speech was validated by God. In Luke 9.35, in the month of transfiguration, Peter said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. I'd like to make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And immediately he said that, they were covered in a cloud, and a voice came from heaven and said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him or hear him. Not Elijah. Not Moses. Because Elijah or Moses could never say what Jesus said. And God says, if you want to know what I am saying, what I am thinking, listen to him. Not to, you know, it's interesting. In Galatians chapter 1, people were beginning to change the gospel. And Paul said, if I or any other angel bring a new gospel to you, let them be anathema. Let them be cursed. Because no angel, no words of angels can be substituted for what Jesus said. And God says, if you want to know what my will is, listen to him. How do I get to heaven? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to heaven apart from me. You want to know what truth is? Jesus said, I'm the truth. I am true truth. Because what I have to say never needs adjustment, never needs updating. Forever, O oh Lord, your word is established or settled in heaven. God said, listen to him. He is the word expressing the mind of God. John 6, 68, Peter said to Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. Where else should we go? You wouldn't want a God like Scientology's God, would you? His word or his speech fulfills prophecy. No other person could say this. In John, in Luke chapter 4, verses 17 to 20, Jesus takes the scroll, the Old Testament scriptures, and turned to Isaiah 61. And he began to read. And as he was reading, he came to the end, and listen to what he says. This day, this scriptures is fulfilled in your presence. This day, this scripture, written 700 years before, is being fulfilled. So he and Matt, you know, it's interesting that, that that should come from Luke. Because Luke never speaks the way Matthew and Mark speak. Matthew and Mark always say this was said so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. This may, was said so that Luke, Luke gives the, the incident, but he never talks like this. But here... He says, Jesus fulfills prophecy. What was written way back there 4,000 years before is being fulfilled. When Jesus said, by him all things came into being. The scripture says that God is the one who called things into being. All things were made by him. Jesus is making the statement that nothing existed, nothing happens apart from the divine plan and purposes of God, and he fulfills them all. That's the Savior I want. His speech fulfills prophecy. 
That's his incomparable speech. His speech controls nature. Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. The disciples are panicking. What are we going to do? The water is coming into the boat and he's asleep. What is he doing? By the way, we still behave that way sometimes today. When things are not going the way we want, we wonder, how come God isn't doing anything about this? Using the words of Nicodemus, uh, or what, when Nicodemus came to Christ, Jesus woke up because of the disciples' panic, and he said, listen, this is what he said to the wind and the sea. Shh. That's the idea of the word. And the, and the disciples were, were driven. Who is this then that even the winds and the waves obey him? My friends, nobody, nobody else could speak like that. My time is almost up. But one of these days I'll come back to this. The language of Jesus is what gives security to you and to me in the midst of the storm. Do you remember what he said to the disciples another time when the sea was raging? He said, don't be afraid. It is I. It is I. Thirdly and lastly, the propaganda of Jesus. Now, you know, when I was looking at that word, and it's, it's, it's amazing, I, I have a secretary now that doesn't question when I use words. You know, um, she trusts me that much. That's dangerous stuff. <laughs> but some of the previous secretaries said, you sure that's the word you want to use? Propaganda? Isn't that a terrible word to use? No, no, no. You know what the word propaganda means? The word means to declare a sacred statement. That's one of the nuances of the word. To declare something that is accurate. To declare something that is true. That's what the word literally carries. Look in your dictionary, you'll find it out, because I did. In John 2.24, Jesus made the statement, John made the statement, that when the people started to come to Jesus, he didn't give any, any credence to what they were doing, because he knew what was in man. He knew what was in man. What was in man? Listen to what Jesus said. This is what is in man. All that is in man comes evil thought, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within. Listen, here's the propaganda of Jesus. He had a perspective, the only perspective that is true of the human condition. I always say, if a man, if a man were writing the Bible, he would not write that. Because we are beginning to justify everything that this verse condemns today. Everything. He knew what the human heart was like. He knew what is in your heart and in mine, my heart. 
you know, Oprah said, look, look inside and you'll discover God. Huh. She's not the only one to say it, but she's in the line of people who said it. The depravity, the depravity of the human heart is validated in the behavior of present-day human beings. You know what I discovered this morning in the news? One of the astronauts is now being charged with crime in heaven because of something they did, she did out there. Don't know what it is. But I thought, isn't that wonderful? <laughs> Wherever human beings go, evil go. Whether it's on earth or up there. Stephen Hawking, you know, said, we, we, should, we should learn because one of these days he believed, he's fortunate he won't have to worry about it. <laughs> he said that beings from heaven is going to come out of hiding and they're going to come to earth and we better learn how to live with them because they are going to overpower us. And I thought, isn't that amazing? We can't even live with one another now. And we're going to get ready to live with beings from outer space? No, my friends. Jesus said that evil exists in your heart and mine. Alexander Solzhenitsyn said this. I love this. The line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And every human being are not willing to display a piece of his own heart. I don't want you to know what's in me. You don't want me to know what is in you. But I'm going to tell you who knows it. Jesus knows it. Jesus knows it. Jesus is the only being who had the proper understanding of the human heart. I, I was kind of joking the other day. Not joking, but the mayor of, of uh, Portland that big demonstration last weekend, he, he was making the plea that the hate has nothing to do with the city of Portland. I said, really? <laughs> My friend, hate is not something we transport from one place to another place. Hate is what we carry every place we go. I mean, it doesn't matter who you are. The condition of the human heart. Again, I could say more I want. T.S. Eliot puts it this way. The world turns and changes. But one thing does not change. In all my years, one thing does not change. However you disguise it. The one thing that never changed is the perpetual struggle of good and evil. It never changes. I, I don't even want to talk of some of the evils that's taking place. Secondly, Jesus gives the provision for the human cure. Jesus said, I am come into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. Humanity without God is lost. And so Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Two things very quickly. His life. We've, we've already talked about it. 
if Jesus were a sinner, if Jesus had any sin in any part of his genes, he couldn't be our Savior. He would need one himself. He is, he is the propitiation. He, he, he stands between us and God so that God doesn't have to pour his wrath on us because he poured it on his son. And for every, you know, may I just say this? Got a call last week, and I was at home, and the call came, and some lady wanted to see me. I was at home, so I, I just took her name, and I totally forgot. I really totally forgot. And then came Monday. She called again. I wasn't in at the time. And Hannah got the call, and she called me, and she told me. And when she told me, I thought, okay, I better call. So I called this, this, this lady, and I tell you. I thought, oh, boy, I don't know that I want to get entangled with you. And so I made an appointment with her, asked Paul to come and sit with me as we did, and I only tell you this for this purpose. As she began to talk, I, I got the feeling that she was struggling under the weight of sin. And then she made a statement. She said, last night I spent hours writing down all the sins that I have committed. And she had a lot. She did. And I listened to her, and Paul was there, so he can tell you whether I'm telling the truth or not. Paul was there, and I opened the scriptures to her, and I said, listen, in 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, when you trust Jesus as Savior, he doesn't only take care of sins you know. He takes care of sins you don't know. I said, he, your, 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 your confession of being a sinner covers everything you have ever done, you're doing and will do, but trusting Jesus Christ as Savior, and she just burst out in tears. She said, this is what I was waiting for. I've been to other places and no one ever told that to me. My friends, Jesus is the only remedy for sin. He's the only one that can take care of the burden we carry, the division, the diverse, everything we're going through. Only Jesus answers to that because he loved us enough to go through it. The sufficiency of his life, he gave his, his life a ransom. And we are taking the communion this morning. And the communion is celebrating his ransom. The word ransom comes from an old Hebrew word which means to buy, to purchase again, to purchase from the market. And I want to tell you how sufficient Jesus' life is, his work is. When we take the communion, we take it in remembrance of him. We take it presently and we take it until he comes. So that Jesus Christ covers the past, 
the present and the future. No other Savior is needed. He is the sufficient Savior. He came to give his life a ransom. When we remember, we look back in tradition. When we take, we deal with the present. And when we take it in anticipation, we take it in hope. The proof of the human cure was the resurrection. The proof of the human cure was the resurrection. Time is gone. But I want to read us something that was found with soldiers in the Second World War. This is what was found crumbled in a soldier's hand. Quote, Look, God, I have never spoken to you, but now I want to say, how do you do? You see, God, they told me you didn't exist. And like a fool, I, be I believed all this. Last night from a shell hole, I saw your sky. I figured right then they had told me a lie. Had I taken time to see things you made, I would have known they were calling they weren't calling a spade a spade. I wonder, God, if you could shake my hand. Somehow I feel that you will understand. Funny, I had to come to this hellish place before I had time to see your face. Well, I guess there isn't much more time and much more to say, but I'm sure glad that I met you today. I guess zero hour will soon be here, but I'm not afraid since I know you're near. The signal, well, God, I'll have to go. I like you a lot. This I want you to know. Look, now, this will be a horrible night, a horrible fight. Who knows? I may come to your house tonight. Though I wasn't friendly with you before, I wonder, God, if you'll wait at your door. Look, I'm crying. Me, shedding tears. I wish I'd known you these many years. Well, I will have to go now, God. Goodbye. Strange that since I met you, I'm not afraid to die. The resurrection of Jesus, because he lived. Who is Jesus? He's the pre-existing God. He is the perfect, perfect being, the expression of God. And he is the one who brings the message. He has been maligned. His life has been scrutinized. But there is none, says, there is none, says one atheist, one W.E. Lackey, that the character of Jesus has been the highest pattern of virtue, the strongest incentive in its practice. And he exerts so deep an influence that may be truly said, that the simple record of three years of active life have done more to regenerate and soften mankind than all the disquietation of the philosophers and the exhortation of man. Jesus Christ is God. God expressed to us so that we could see his glory. The communion brings us to that place.